Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Sarah. We're two moms with eight kids between us, and we're the hosts of The Mom Hour. On this show, we're joined by a team of unique mom voices from across the country and in different stages of motherhood to bring you tips, ideas, and encouragement, and to help you feel a little less alone. We all know that motherhood is a lot easier when real moms share honest truths and remind each other that it's all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 409 of the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers here with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hi, Sarah. So we have a anniversary episode today of sorts. It is the closest... Tuesday. It's the closest possible day to our eighth birthday of anniversary. Wow. Happy birthday anniversary. I don't know what we call it. Uh, it it's a it's a podcast anniversary, right? It is. I, that's that's the technical term. <laughs> that's an industry <laughs> lingo. It's an industry accepted term. <laughs> Sorry to use jargon. Yeah, yeah. Um, real technical over here. Yeah, eight years. It was March nineteenth. I think. I think is the day of wow. um, twenty fifteen that the very first episode of the mom hour aired. And I know we also celebrate milestones. Like we had episode 400. It wasn't that long ago. Um, but every time there's a big milestone, it allows us to reflect a little bit and maybe do something, um, on the podcast that allows, brings all of you into our reflection. So today we're going to look at the common themes and questions that come up most frequently um, in almost 650 episodes. And I, I guess I see today as almost like floating above ourselves, like having an out looking of podcast down. body, looking down <laughs> and see if there's like, not just, oh, what are the most common questions we get asked over and over again? And we've joked about that over the years. Like, should I have a third kid? We don't know, but you keep asking us and we're like, probably yes, maybe I don't know. But actually more like, what are people really asking? What are moms coming to us most frequently with? And, and almost like, What's the need or the question behind the question is kind of how I look at today. So maybe we'll get a little bit deep today. I love that because you're so right. Like, um, first of all, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge that in we've been doing this for eight years, Sarah, mm-hmm. <laughs> Like eight years. Just think about the questions we had eight years ago yeah. that we would have asked 
a podcaster if yeah. we'd had the chance because my podcasting was just kind of new then um, or a lot newer than it is now. Um, but like we see these questions come up again and again because they're universal for a reason. And so we never, sometimes I feel like I'm a little sensitive about sounding dismissive when I'm like, I can't answer that for you, but, but I understand why you're asking it. You know what I mean? I can't, I can't answer this highly personal question for you yet. It's something that I have also struggled with in some version, even if the specifics were a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. I do have to ask you really quick before we move on, though. Did you ever in a million years, eight years ago, think that you would still be doing this podcast now? No, but I don't know what I I don't know that I thought about it at all because I was in the trenches of a bunch of little kids. My career, yeah. I, I don't even think it's not that I would have said, no, I don't think we'll be doing this in eight years. It's more that like my, I was so in the trenches and so not thinking about a capital C career that I didn't. Yeah. It was like a non-question. So, right. yeah. I think for me, I wouldn't have either. And I think I am somebody who's often future casting and big picture thinking and looking way forward. And I was not. And I think this this podcast, much like motherhood, was something where we just kept showing up and doing the thing mm-hmm. and doing the thing and doing the thing. And then you pop up and you look around, you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. I did that thing a lot. Yeah. A yeah. lot has changed. So, yeah, like I wasn't thinking forward either. I was just like, well, we're just going to show up and record today and today and today. And again and again. And actually, there was a really serendipitous way that we'd certainly put in a lot of showing up and hard work. And at the same time, serendipitously, an industry was growing with us and around us that landed some really cool opportunities right in our lap. And we started making an income from this thing that we started doing. So if um if you are listening to this and don't know our business backstory, we'll point you to some other episodes in the archives. That's not really what we're going to talk about today. But just in December, we reflected on more of our business ups and downs over the years. Um, and I, we got a lot of nice, nice feedback on that episode. So I'll link that one up today. I think we're going to really like get down and dirty into the motherhood themes that this show has become about. But we didn't start out knowing this is what we were going to talk about. It's almost like you all out there have told us what's important to you. And we've responded. Um, This makes me think uh, about the book, Tiny Beautiful Things, which I just finished reading, but it's not new. So the Dear Sugar, you know, Dear Sugar, you know, Cheryl Strayed, right, Megan? Yeah, I used to read her column kind of often. I really liked her tone, um, but it's been a while. So I think I missed her entire Dear Sugar, like reign of popularity. I think it was when I had a bunch of little kids. And she was really giving a lot of relationship and love advice at a time where like, I wasn't really consuming that. But anyway, um, the tiny beautiful things is the book compilation of some of her most popular beloved dear sugar advice columns. And it actually made me think like, I mean, I'm not comparing us to Cheryl Strayed necessarily, but like us, she found herself in a position where people would bring her very like intimate questions and like life quandaries, decisions. Um, and she wasn't, she wasn't a psychologist or a life coach, or she was like a lady who was able to reflect people's lives back to them and put them into words so beautifully. She's such a beautiful kind of surprising and quirky writer. And that's what people fell in love with. And I kind of think there is a corollary here. Like we are not parenting experts. We're not life coaches or in any kind of a position to tell you all what to do about your parenting life. And yet we get these really, I don't know, kind of um, important and weighty 
topics sent our way and all we can do is talk about them as best we can. So I don't know. I yeah. found there was a little parallel there that I wanted to talk about. And I, I found myself digging into some of the quotes from um, the Dear Sugar columns. And I'll link them up in the show notes. She just has such a beautiful way of saying, like, I don't know what you should do about this problem, but you do. And here's how I can tell you that, you know, like it's in you. I, that's what I love about that book and her columns. Well, I will definitely check the book out because I agree. I really like her, her style of writing. And I, yeah, sometimes it's just validating that the question is valid (laughs) and that you have the, you have the ability within you to find these answers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we release ourselves of, of all liability because we (laughs) disclaimer at the bottom, like, please do not, uh, interpret this as medical parenting or health or life or financial or any kind of advice. Yeah. Consult your professional. Well, okay. We're going to do a lightning round, which wink, wink is (laughs) never very fast on this show, but a rolling thunder round. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Before we get into the the deeper themes of this podcast, I thought it would be fun to quickly reflect on how we recorded the mom hour in March of each of the last eight years. So I'm going to ask you to zoom in on specifically March because this is a birthday and we know we weren't doing things the same all year, every year. Um, And then just really about how we recorded the show, because like I said, we've done a lot of other deep dives into what else was happening in our business and in our lives over the years. But um, these are little, I'm picturing them like little snapshots, like a snapshot of recording the mom hour in 2015. So we'll start there. In 2015, I was living in my house in Orange County. I would record the podcast lying on the floor on my stomach because I've always had a tricky lower back issue. But in those years, it was actually worse because I was doing a lot of car seat bending and toddler picking up and stroller folding and all of that. Um, so my back is actually in better shape at 43 than it was at 35 or however old I was. Um, so I would lie on the floor sometimes with an ice pack on my back because sitting for long periods of time was really uncomfortable. And I recorded lying down. I had no external mic, only a laptop and my babysitter from the neighborhood would come pick up Violet. She wasn't even in preschool yet and take her to the park for an hour so that Mm -hmm. I could record this 50 minute podcast. So the babysitter would come by, I'd put Violet in the stroller, I'd send them away. And I remember being a little kind of like embarrassed or like self-conscious that like what I was about to do was record a podcast. It (laughs) felt really like it just felt weird. It was a new thing. And I I remember kind of not telling the babysitter that that's what I was doing while she took Violet to the, to the park. So how about you in 2015? Okay. So I, I remember that. And I remember when we'd have to kind of like, we had to be pretty quick. Yeah. We couldn't, we, we had to start when we said we were going to start. We yeah. couldn't dawdle, you know, um, that year would have been the first year ever that I had all five of my kids in school. Mm-hmm. So that was a year that I had been very, I think this idea was sort of dreamed up actually of having this podcast when I was, after I had said I was going to get a lot done when Clara was in kindergarten and then got like nothing done yep. for, I don't know, a really long time. Except the the seed of the idea for this yeah. podcast was born. Um, at that point, I was my bedroom had like a little extra. I'm not even going to say it was an office, but it was like a room that was sort of divided into two rooms. Um, like maybe at one point it had been like a study mm-hmm. that went into a dining room or something, but it had ter- been turned into this big bedroom. And we used the little area off that wasn't by the bed um, as an office. And so I was sitting at a my desk that's mm-hmm. still in my bed, or I don't know if it's in my bedroom. Maybe it's in Clara's bedroom now. That desk. But um, with a 
like a not even a laptop. It was like a desktop computer. Oh wow! And a mic that was boom wired. Like yeah, boomed. you actually started out with like really professional equipment, and I started out with nothing. Well, that was because my now ex husband really liked to buy that stuff. Yeah, um, he got really into the technology, so I was always very well appointed sure. when it came to that sort of thing. So yeah, I had like a road mic, which was really nice for the time, way more than what I needed. Of course, we didn't know how to use any of the stuff. And <laughs> it was like all these complicated workarounds oh, yeah. to get all the technology to work. And half the time we were using Skype mm-hmm. and half the time I would have to like yeah. call John and ask him to come help because we couldn't figure out how to get the software to all work together. So yeah, I totally different. forgot we used Skype. Okay. I'm glad we're yeah. doing this. Wow. <laughs> um, did I cut you off? Is that, is that 2015? No, that's kind of what I, that was 2015. Okay. So 2016, I think was mostly the same. I don't know at what point I got up off the floor, but I still remember a lot of lying down, not having a mic. Uh, 2016 was a rough year in uh, my father-in-law passed away. Like our dog died really suddenly. It was a stressful political year. I know you had a stressful year. I'm going to say mostly the same as 2015, but like, more things on fire all around me. <laughs> well, I'm looking at March of 2016 for me. So, so my life hadn't completely exploded yet in March of 2016. It it would not yet explode for another several months. Okay. I think I was mostly recording in bed. Well, no, actually, probably not yet. I think I would have still been in my little office space. I don't think I moved um, to my bed until a little bit later, but I could be wrong about that. Some At some point, I realized I was it was more comfortable and I got better sound when I recorded in bed. But I don't think at 20, the 2016 uh, March of that year, I don't think I was there yet. Yeah. Yeah. We would, we were just a year old at that point. Yeah. We were still a babe. Um, Okay. So 2017, my memory is in the spring of 2017, we got a puppy. I guess it wasn't March. I think it was early April, but right around that time. Um, And I also at some point moved my recording space up to Reed's bedroom. He was a little guy. He would have been six that year. Um, And he had bunk beds. And I think I had started getting more feedback about sound and like feedback, like from our, our sound engineer, who was your co-host at the radio at that time. So I was actually trying to like up my sound game a little bit and I would go up and I'd sit on the floor facing the bottom bunk. So if you can picture that, so like I'm talking into the little cave that is a lower bunk and it worked. I think my sound got way better in 2017. It was very uncomfortable to sit on the floor and I had this whole, I would drape blankets. It's almost like I went from not caring about acoustics at all to maybe being like a lot. overly obsessed and like at yeah. the expense of my physical comfort. Cause it was not comfortable. And we would sometimes do long recording sessions or do interviews up there. Um, and then I also have memories of that spring having a puppy that I was constantly trying to put in a crate and I'd shut him behind like eight doors and the barking I could still hear. It was very, <laughs> puppies are stressful, man, puppy puppies and podcast recording. So that was uh, spring 2017. That feels to me like yesterday when you were in that bunk, <laughs> like on the yeah. floor in the bunk bed. I mean, it feels so like Xander as a puppy uh-huh. feels like yesterday. This is so crazy. Yeah, he's um, six. Wow. Okay. So March of 2017, I would have been newly separated ish. Like within, I think we separated like in late 2016. So by this point I was five or six months separated. Now we were doing for the full, the full first year that we were separated. We had one home. Um, I can't remember what they call it, like nesting or something and like one and the parents come and go. So I had this little office space downtown in my little town 
that I would sleep at. I wasn't supposed to. It was actually in my lease that I wasn't supposed to sleep there. Is it like a retail, I mean, a um, commercial. It's a commercial. Space. I yeah. mean, I think it was just because of liability insurance. There was no like commerce happening in the, and I had a very private space, like in the back. It I was, was cute. I saw it. It was really yeah. cute. And it was really, it was really decked out like an apartment. I had like a little day bed and a sofa. I had my record player up there and I had like a bathroom and then I had a separate room that had my um, was basically my office and it was quite nice. I had my tea service like I had it was like yeah, truly you were taking like care a, of yourself. You I had was. To. Yeah. I, and it was like a 350 square foot apartment basically. So um, I believe I was most of that year, but definitely at that point I was recording up there and um, gosh, I think I was still mostly at my desk because I didn't have a very comfortable uh, bed situation. I didn't like have a headboard on this bed. It oh. was like a, like a day bed with a metal frame. So there was, you'd have to kind of prop yourself every now and then I think I tried, but you'd have to sort of like get all propped up. I had switched to the kind of mic that I use now though, where I tuck it into my bra and you, I could do that. <laughs> so I could, but I didn't often, I often would just use the little tripod. Um, yeah. and I think I actually also had a boom there too. So I had a pretty professional, I had a very similar setup to the, that I had had at home. Um, I do think by this point we were using clean feed on the recommendation of Johnny, my radio co-host, but otherwise it was still kind of a process getting stuff. Done. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of moving parts in your personal life too. Yes. And yeah, a lot of, pro we probably did a lot of schedule juggling. I, I, you know, I think in general from 2017 to like 2019, there was a lot yes. of schedule juggling. Yeah. So 2018, I fact checked this with you. You, that was March, 2018, you had your um, full-time agency job, which I know you'll talk about. So my memory is that we recorded on the weekend a lot yeah. when you were working at JR. And so I was still in re so location wise, I was still in the bunk bed cave, but I remember a lot of weekend recording, which was challenging in terms of like kid, you know, like yeah. family life. Um, and then I also remember about 2018, Katie Addis, who was a listener that I met at the park in my town in Orange County, who recognized me and then offered to work for us and did and did some work for us. And then we would also have her on the show periodically because she was like in new mom life. And Katie, I don't know if you still listen, but um, we're still like Instagram friends. And that was a fun um, that was the beginning of delving into like, OK, we need some fresh voices on the mom hour that aren't just Megan and Sarah. And as everybody knows, that's something we've continued to do in different ways. So my other 2018 memory is Katie coming over and we would sometimes record at my kitchen table, but I think she came up to read. I think she came up to the bunk bed space with me and I didn't even have a second mic. We would like share. <laughs> I the remember mic. that. Yeah. You'd like pass it back mm -hmm. and forth. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. Well, March of 2018 for me, I had moved. Um, so the kids and I had left our, the big family house and we had moved into a little teeny tiny house mm -hmm. where I had no, I had a desk, but there was really no way I could have comfortably worked at that desk. I don't even remember there being a lot of room for the chair. Like I had to move the chair out of the way to come in or something. It was like a really little room. I think I only had the desk in there because otherwise I would have had to get rid of it. <laughs> so it was just a surface. Um, so I was in bed full, like the whole time. Yep. That was the really the beginning of my podcasting recording in bed days. Bed. Yeah. Recording from bed. Yeah. It's like where I was really into it. Yeah. And you had a full-time day job. And I had a full-time yeah. day job. So I would do the radio station in the morning um, really early, which sometimes I would record that at my kitchen table because that was when, or the dining room table, 
um, because that's when like the kids were kind of moving around. And I think every now and then I'd record our stuff at the dining room table too. But the reason I did the radio show at the dining room table is because this is so crazy when I think about it. I would have my mic set up and my computer open and I could hear the station uh-huh. playing in the background while I'm running around getting the kids ready yep. for school. And then I would hear the break coming up and um, Johnny, my co-host, would like cue me that it was coming. I think we were texting too. I, but I had like a clock too. So I would mm-hmm. know like what song was going to be the last song before I'd go yeah. on. And, and our, our segments were done like in three and four minute segments. So like you had to be around for the whole show, but I was like six, three to four minute segments oh an gosh. hour and I'm getting the kids ready. They're eating breakfast and they'd be like, okay, everyone quiet. Mom's got to jump on the air. I jump on the air. I do my segment with Johnny. <laughs> then I mute myself, go back to getting my kids ready. Then I would leave the house, drop them off at school and go into the station for the last hour. Uh-huh. It was banana pants. And then I would leave there and go to my job. Oh my like I had another job that I was at until four or five o'clock every day. Yeah. So it was a, it was a rather like I was running on so much adrenaline. Yeah. Um, I can't believe I wasn't more tired. You <laughs> I probably actually, were. I probably was and just didn't know it. Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. Well, okay. So 2019, I don't know when I moved from the reed bunk bed to the kitchen table downstairs in my Orange County house, but I'm going to say it was sometime during the 2018 year. So by 2019, March, um, I would record sitting at my kitchen table. All of my kids were in school every day day by that point Violet would be about to turn six so yeah so that would have been her kindergarten year um she did some preschool before that so I remember this stage I felt very profesh um our now engineer our now sound guy Brian was maybe with us by March 2019 you can tell me whether that's true but um yeah yes for sure yeah so he he was with us I think starting in 2018 yeah yeah So I really upped my game. I got these sound buffering curtains. They look like what you wrap your stuff in when you move, like a thick blanket. Um, And they had grommet hooks. And my Brian, so Brian is our sound guy, but then my husband is Brian. My husband, Brian, hung these little hooks and we would hang these. I would hang these um, sound curtains on the wall next to my um, kitchen table because there was a big window there and I Brian Thomas, our engineer, told us like it didn't sound great with my voice bouncing off the window. So I had this little routine where I'd get out this this big heavy blanket thing and then hang it next to me. And I had my little tripod. And I I remember feeling like we are now we're profesh. I'm sitting. I'm not on the floor. I'm not in a kid's bunk bed. I'm not laying on the ground. I am <laughs> sitting at a table. And we were doing a lot of podcast content by 2019. I mean, it was like it was feeling like a, a real job. So I felt pretty profesh and I had my um, kitchen table recording area. Still bed for me. <laughs> and I was still in that little tiny house yep. at that point. Yep. yep. Okay. Um. Well, March of 2020, we all know what happened in March of 2020, almost this exact week. Um, so instead of being at the kitchen table where I had been so profesh, we moved to weekends again because with virtual school and virtual work, my internet bandwidth, I don't know about yours, but I know mine couldn't handle recording. Yeah, it was while a, kids that was a were, problem. I'd yeah. kind of forgotten like what a struggle that was. Yeah. So spring 2020 found us, I was then upstairs in my bedroom in bed. So then we were both podcasting from bed, but we did weekends for for several weeks, I probably until the end of that school year, because you couldn't, we couldn't record the podcast while our kids were Zoom schooling. Yeah. So we had moved, thankfully, to a much larger house early, early in 2020. Right. I sometimes think about what it would have been like to ride out, yeah. to ride out um, 
<laughs> the pandemic in that tiny house. But we were moved into a much bigger house, but I was mostly still recording in bed. Yeah. I don't think I really, it was just so nice. I just have really liked it. Yeah. So yeah. bed, well, bed, new house. Yeah. And the next 2021 and 2022 are going to be increasingly bedridden as we get through them. <laughs> um, so by 2021 in March, we had moved to Santa Barbara. So I have been in my current house and I have only recorded from bed in this house. Um, and there's always a dog at the foot of the bed. And I also at some point got a lap desk, which allowed me to like sit up a little better in bed and also have my computer like up higher. And I have a, a mic stand, which I had gotten the mic stand at the kitchen table set up. But um, that was 2021 um, Santa Barbara from bed with a dog. Uh, 2021 for me, just bed. Bed. <laughs> Wait, which house? <laughs> Same. Are you in the, I was still, in the big house? I was still in the big house. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And yep. it's still covid really by March of 2021. Yeah, it really still... hadn't changed much. It's yeah. all just a blur. Yeah. I don't think things had changed too much. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then 2022, a year ago, um, I am also Santa Barbara from bed with a dog. I did get a better lap desk, an even fancier one. And I, I was going to say added cats to the bed, but they didn't really come till summer 2022. So March was yeah. m- much the same. So for me, 2022, I did move to the house where we are in now and out in the country. Uh, it was just to get, I think chickens were maybe being introduced oh, to the family yeah. at some point in March. Um, but I was recording in bed in a new house and occasionally Eric's bed at his house because he has better internet than mine. Although mine's gotten a lot better, but his was for a while much better than mine. So I have done a, quite a lot of recording from his house, typically on his bed. And um, that's probably where I was in March 2022. And then here we are, 2023. I am in the same. I am currently, I have a huge pile of laundry on this bed. I should say that there's almost always laundry on the bed with me when I record and a dog and potentially two cats. I don't think the cats are with me today, but where are you today, 2023? So I have a really nice studio that I do work in. I don't really record the podcast in there for lots of reasons. Um, And maybe at some point I will. But uh, I'm right. I'm in bed right now. And my bed has a pile of nail polish. That makes me nervous. Um, well, they're all closed. I know. Like scissors. Oh. Some party favors from Claire's bath um, party the other day. A book. Like it is just my bed needs help. Yeah. Mine is not restful. Huge amounts of laundry. Okay. Well, that brings us to 2023. And we're going to dive into what we think are the most common questions and and life conundrums we get from our listeners. Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress-free and hit our wellness goals with ready-to-eat meals from our sponsor, Factor. Factor's delicious meals are never frozen and can be ready to eat in just two minutes. You can pick from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular choices like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, they have more than 60 add-ons like breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages to keep you fueled all day long. So our team was comparing notes recently on our favorite factor meals, and Katie loved the herb-crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. I loved that one, too. And get this, so did her little boy, Charlie. She heated it up for lunch one day, and Charlie, who's three, ate almost all of the green beans. I mean, that's quite an endorsement, right? I was going to say, what a parenting win. (laughs) And I get it, Charlie. Those green beans are crazy good. And if you really want to treat yourself, they even have meals with filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. 
Listeners head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour5050 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the forever chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's from our O-U-R place.com code mom hour. Okay, Megan. Um, I spent some time as we got ready for this episode um, going back through our Facebook community, which is where moms talk amongst themselves about what's going on in their lives. And of course, we know the listener questions that get sent our way, some of which make it onto a listener questions episode. But I would say, wouldn't you say like a lot of times they don't. We just they're just emails we get from people and we write back. but. Yeah. Um, I just kind of did some reflecting and I kind of put some bigger buckets of topics that come up again and again. And the first one I want to talk about is moms who have a belief that the decision they're about to make now is going to affect everything in the rest of their parenting and their child's life forevermore. It's this kind of sliding doors moment that I think we all have as moms that can lead to a lot of de- decision paralysis. And what we're trying to do is control the future and not have any regrets, which I think dear sugar and Megan and Sarah would all say like, that's, that's the losing proposition. That's not possible. But these questions often look like, should I have another baby or not have another baby? Um, should we move as a family to be closer to uh, the grandparents and then we'd have more help or should we stay where our jobs are better and cost of living is better. It's all these people will lay out these elaborate situations um, right down to really micro questions like, should I? And and I guess they seem micro, but to the person making the decision, it's not a micro decision. Should um, I we do our local church preschool or spring for the Montessori? It's like all of these things. And what I hear in it is um, not fear necessarily, although sometimes it's fear, but a belief that this decision is sort of going to be a um, keystone from which everything else flows in the future. Do you do you know what kind of questions I'm talking about? Well, yeah. And to be fair, they are. Right. Yeah. Well, sure. They, they feel that way because it's 100 percent true. Yeah. But like everything we do, 
like literally everything we do, if we're, if we're going to take this to the butterfly effect level, sure. right. Um, whether I decide to leave five minutes later today or not also could potentially affect literally everything about my life. So to me, what it's getting at isn't just the fact that like, this is a big decision because it's going to change everything, but also that there's some way to know yeah. whether the choice you make somehow is like going to be quantifiably better. Like whether the future life with two kids is quantifiably better for all involved than the future life with three kids. And I think that's where it kind of falls apart. Like you, we sort of can't know, we can't know that. And it doesn't matter how much, how many details we go through. It doesn't matter how long the, the pros and cons list is. There are things you wouldn't even know to put on that pros and yeah. cons list. Um, you won't know that kid that you have decided to have yeah. perhaps. Um, until that kid is born, you, you know, when you move, you don't know who your neighbors are really going to turn out to be until you're in that house. So it's like, you're trying to use unknowable data to inform some kind of knowledge of a situation. And I think in this case, it's like, you really have to balance the data with your gut. And that if, if you're more gut oriented like me or more data oriented like you, it's easy to get stuck in one and not really be able to like balance the both. Yes. And I think all of these questions um, come with a false sense of security in the known. And what I mean by that is we're all guilty of this, me for sure included, in thinking, well, I know how this route is going to turn out. And so now I'm not sure if this other route is better. But I would argue that like the the thinking is flawed from the beginning because nothing is a guaranteed, right? Like, so if it's the two kids versus three, like, well, I can picture how staying with two kids would would be in our life. But no, no, you can't because we really like we really don't know what the future holds for even the thing that seems like the most status quo or the or the least uh, like rocking the boat decision. So I think there's an underlying like acknowledgement that all of this is a giant leap of faith and um, that could be freeing or it could be terrifying. So often with these questions, there is there is no advice we can give. I do see moms in the Facebook group helping each other work through in really productive ways by sharing their experiences. Um, so I do think it's it's certainly a worthy conversation. I'm not saying like don't even bother considering these choices, but it's not something we can give specific advice on, really. Right. Well, and I think too for myself, being you know more of a oh an optimist <laughs> sometimes in ways that are, have been great. They being an optimist has helped me get through a lot of situations. It's also put me in a lot of situations that maybe were harder than they had to be. So I think if you're more oriented to, to my style and probably these are not the people asking these questions anyway, to begin with, right. but it's kind of like, eh, it'll all work out. And that's true. It will all work out. Um, I do think there's probably been times in my life where slowing down to consider a little bit of the data might have helped me make decisions that set me up for a little more ease. But then if I think about things that way, I'm not really looking for ease necessarily, yeah. you know? So it's like, it it's, would my life have been easier if I had had, had not had five small children under yeah. the age of, you know, 11 and down? Well, yeah, for <laughs> sure. My life would have been easier if I hadn't had one, but that's not yeah. what I was going for. Right. So it's like, yeah, I think sometimes to your point, it's like, the details are in trying to come up with the most efficient, um, streamlined version that's kind of pain-free. Yes. 
um, that gets the kids the most optimal outcome. And that's just based on so many variables that it's great to know what those variables might be, but you still have to kind of decide what your comfort level is with yeah. the unknown. Well, I have a, um, a dear sugar quote that matches up with this that I want to read. Um, and then we'll move on. But, uh, she says in tiny, beautiful things, I'll never know. And neither will you of the life you don't choose. We'll only know that whatever that sister life was, it was important and beautiful and not ours. It was the ghost ship that didn't carry us. There's nothing to do but salute it from the shore. Um, this is also a good reminder for me that sometimes I have a knee jerk reaction with newer, younger moms to think, well, this decision is not like it's not as big as you think it is darling, sweet new mom. But it's, I, I remind myself over and over again, that it is when you are the one making it, it is the, the linchpin decision when that is your life. And it's only later that you can look back and be like, Oh, that was important. And it was part of a much bigger, like life soup that was happening that I could not see when I was in it. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, another very large bucket of things that we hear from listeners, I'm going to put under the general label, why isn't all of this more fun? And what am I missing? And these, these are the questions. A lot of them have a through line of how is everyone else getting everything done? Why does it seem like everyone else seems to have it together except me? Um, and that is like a common, like mom's looking around, like, what am I missing? Like where, why did I think this was going to be more fun or easier or more fulfilling? And it's not. And that's, that's like the internal part. And then externally, why does it seem like everybody else is having more fun and is getting up to have their coffee um, and write in their journal before their kids right. and I can't get it together. But I also think there are like, there are deeper issues that come with this one, which really a lot of them have to do with confidence, um, like confidence that the life you're living is worthy work. I can't remember when you just, you said that recently on an episode, Megan, and I don't remember what we were talking about, but that, mm. that belief that like that, Oh, it was when we were talking about romanticizing hard stuff, oh, that, that, yeah, belief yeah, yeah. that what you're doing matters, even if it's like kind of crappy on the outside. Um, and then I think sometimes there are deeper issues, deeper relationship issues, like family dynamics, friendship, that we're experiencing as humans on this planet because we are humans on this planet, but somehow we've convinced each other ourselves that other people don't have those issues. So yes. they're, they're all just floating along and we're struggling with body confidence or intimacy issues or friendship issues. And, and we just assume nobody else is. So this is like, it, this is a big category of questions we get and they can be on any topic. They could be on housework or um, like emotional labor. They could be on, babies stuff and kids stuff and marriage stuff. But really underlying is like, what am I doing wrong? Cause everyone else has figured this out. You know, when I was a younger mom, I was very active in forums, which were like the predecessor to Facebook groups. Right. Um, and I remember so many times I would start a post and it would just be rambly, 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 seven paragraphs. And I'm like, am I, what am I asking? <laughs> like, uh, do I actually want anyone to give me advice? Am I, do I just want to feel like other people have been there? Do I just want to feel seen? And sometimes I finally got good. Like it took me a while at, um, cutting out most of the detail. Mm -hmm. And I would actually say I wrote it all out, but I, I removed it cause it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Here's the salient points of what's mm -hmm. going on. 
I, I had to learn to do that because otherwise people would want to jump in and give me a bunch of like really tactical advice sure. that was super not helpful. And I, and that's part of the reason in our Facebook group, we have a rule that you're not supposed to do that. Like yeah. make sure advice is what's wanted before you jump in. Cause it can be really, um, quashing yeah. of, of the spirit of a place when it's like, okay, if I post about this really, you know, what the real issue is, is that I don't feel like I'm enough or I don't feel like anybody else is in it with me. And you jump in and tell me if I use this strategy, everything would be fixed. That's not helpful. Um, but sometimes it's also on the part of the person asking for the advice to kind of suss that out. So like, yeah, yeah, to clarify. So I, yes, I agree. I think it's, it's wanting to not feel alone really is what, because we can't solve any of that. Like I can't solve anyone's family dynamics or body issue issues or, yeah. or any of that stuff. Um, but it's still nice to know that other people have, have been there and are there yeah. and will always be there. I agree. I agree. And that it happens in conversation. I think our Facebook group is a healthy, safe place, but I would argue that the most transformative conversations probably happen with people in your real life that you can be brave and say, Yep. This is really hard for me. Is it hard for you too? Um, the doing that on the internet is helpful to a degree, but can be confusing and performative. So it's like it come to me, it comes with a big asterisk. Whereas yep. like really getting vulnerable with your spouse or your best friend or someone in your life to say, like, is this, am I like out to lunch here? Is this supposed to be this hard? Or a therapist yep. or like, I think that's where some of the, the real transformation happens. But I'm glad that we have this space where people just can say, like, I just need to vent. And that's what people will yeah. say in the Facebook group. Like, I just yeah. need this normalized. Those are always or, good yeah. words. I don't yeah. know advice needed. I just need to vent. Yeah, totally. um, and I do think I do think our Facebook group is a really safe place. I yeah. also think um, Laura Tremaine is doing some really good work around this. Um, I don't know if you read her book. Share your stuff. I believe it's share your yeah, stuff. Share I'll your go stuff. first. I'll go first. Um, I listened to her talk about it. I have not read the book, but I, I love her very much. Yeah. I just started it and she's got a book about friendship that I don't think is out yet. I think it yeah. comes out like maybe next month, but I'm eager to read that one. And I started reading share your stuff. I'll go first um, last week while I was on the airplane. And like, she just jumps into it talking about how she's like, has pulled her hair out since she was a little kid. She just jumps right into like, this is something that I've done. It's like an anxiety response. And she, and she's real. She's like, okay, I'm going first. And so now I can't wait to read what else is in this book. Cause I was like, well, that's not something I personally struggle with, but I bet you I have stuff that yeah. I do as some kind of a nervous tick or just stuff I'm dealing with that the more honest you can be with people in your life. And I think that's what I, I haven't read the whole book yet yeah. either, but I feel like that's what the power, what she's talking about is the power of being vulnerable and honest about what we struggle with. Yeah. I would like to read that. Okay, Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately, and it always feels so good to get rid of clothes I'm not wearing, things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. But you know what I realized? All of my Vionic shoes are always in the keep pile. They just tick all the boxes. They're cute, comfy, high quality. They last forever. And I love growing my Vionic collection, especially with the latest styles from their Vionic Vitals collection. The Vionic Vitals collection offers daily wear styles designed for elegance, comfort, and versatility. We both love the Uptown Loafer, which collapses flat, so it's perfect for travel. The Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, which I know you love, Sarah. The Walk 23 Classic Sneaker, which our team member Katie gets compliments on all the time. And the Willa Slip-On Flat, one of my favorites, which comes in 12 colors for any outfit. 
Yeah, I need to uh, get the Willa slip on flat. That's next on my list. Well, listeners, if you're ready to try the shoes we're always raving about, use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. We are welcoming back Ritual as a sponsor today. Megan, we both try to make healthy choices, but you know, sometimes it's tricky to sort through fact and fiction when it comes to supplements and vitamins to figure out just what they're doing for us. That's why I'm glad Ritual keeps studying their products and sharing the results, especially as it relates to women, since women are the focus of all Ritual's products, including the Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin. And the results are super reassuring. Just as an example, Ritual conducted a university-led clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin, and it was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin is made with high-quality and traceable key nutrients in clean, bioavailable forms with nine key nutrients in two capsules per day. Plus, they are leading the industry when it comes to sustainability. They use lower carbon packaging and prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients. That kind of thoughtfulness really matters to me. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash the mom hour. Start Ritual or add the Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash the mom hour for 25% off. Okay, well, this is a very different type of question that we get, and it is more on actual parenting and like parenting advice in the more traditional sense. I think we get a lot of questions about how do I teach my kid to and then fill in the blank. And it could be from age zero to 18. How do I how do I check this box or tick this box on the like parenting? list, like sleep through the night, um, not have a tantrum. How do I teach my kid to be grateful? How do I teach my teenager to care about school? Um, and these are always very interesting for me to read because I think I have a, like a dual reaction on the one hand, I read a lot of behavior and child psychology and parenting books when my kids were really small. And I do think there's real power in getting educated about like kids and and development and how minds develop and what behavior means. So on the one hand, I think these are really valid, worthy questions. And, and probably with some of them with, with answers that you could source data for and, and really say, this is an effective strategy for this potty training, this type of child. Great. But on the other hand, I would say 80% of the questions like this, I want to be like, well, it'll, you don't have to do anything. Like you just have to provide love and a roof and they're going to get there on their own. And so there is this like this feeling that moms have, like they have to take a bunch of actions to teach a kid how to be grateful, for example. And we've talked about that a bunch of times on this show that like 92% of it is patience and modeling. Yeah. I did not read a whole lot of books about discipline. I think I had one that was called without spanking or spoiling. And that one was like kind of this middle ground, not super authoritative. I don't even know if that book is still around. Um, with It was like kind of the middle ground between being not authoritarian, authoritarian or mm-hmm. permissive. It was like finding this author- authoritative middle ground. 
And it was based on like logical consequences. And I, I liked that book. I remember that was when, you know, remember Isaac? He, yeah. Um, yeah. Bless, the bless surfboard kid, soul. the internet named yes. him. Yeah. Um, he, he was a challenge and I was dealing, I was really looking for some solutions. And then I read that book and got a few little things I tried. And then I think I kind of realized like, oh, these things work wonderfully on Jacob, but he doesn't really need it. And they don't work at all on Isaac because he doesn't care. And I, I think at that point I was just like, okay, I need to just detach a little bit from my expectations around a lot of these things and, and parent him as best I can and see how things shake out. I'm still glad I read the books. You know what I mean? I'm still, like you said, I'm still glad I had the knowledge. I, I just think it was like, you learn some tactics, you try them. And if they don't work, then it's like, you got them in your back pocket. And I'm sure there were still ways that I interacted with him that were better having read that book and there were a few others I'm yeah. sure I read a lot I read a lot as a new mom but mostly honestly about pregnancy and birth and like healthcare and stuff yeah. I wasn't reading as much about discipline um these kinds of questions I feel like are the biggest lightning rods in parenting communities mm-hmm. because they tend to they tend to become very um like they're what's the word I'm looking for like they are polarizing yeah. because there's often like different camps um, and very specific ways to do it. It's like if you asked me something like, oh, you know, I feel really bad about my sex life with my husband. I just had a baby. Like, I know how to answer that. The, the answer is like, OK, everybody goes through that. It's going to get better. But I'm probably not going to give you like 10 hot tips to take to the bedroom tonight. <laughs> and even if I did, if you didn't use them, I don't care. Like, right. I'm not. That Like, I won't know for one right. thing. I, I don't expect you to come back and report. But like, I also just don't, there's not as much emotion yeah. involved in it. When it's something about how do I get my kid to X, Y, Z, the advice given is very emotionally loaded because the other mom did that thing. Yep. Yeah. To their kid. Right. So they want to feel like they yeah. did the right thing. And then if you don't do that thing, it can feel like a judgment, even when no judgment That's is exactly intended right. That's exactly at all. Right. So it. When we get those questions, those are actually the ones for a very different reason from you. I just have the hardest time answering because I never want to come off like mm-hmm. I'm telling you what to do with your child. And if you don't do it that way, there's something wrong with the way you're parenting or yeah. that you're going to get a, you know, quote, bad result yeah. or outcome. Um, and a lot of these things, as we all give lip service to, but then don't always like, I don't know, we give lip service to the idea that all kids are different and require different kinds of parenting. But then sometimes when it comes to advice giving, it's like we forget that somehow. Yeah. yeah. That like my technique for doing this or that probably wouldn't work with my other kid, let yeah. alone your kid. <laughs> let alone someone else's kid. That's so <laughs> yeah. true. Yeah. Well, and I think underneath these questions is this, I don't want to call it a belief because I think most moms would say they don't have this belief, but this worry that my kid isn't blank enough. They're not where they should be. And we know that that is we know that that's not true. I hope in our guts that like your kid is literally your kid. They're a human in progress. Um, and so that's another reason why I think we kind of it's tricky to answer questions like that, because maybe your kid is not giving up the passy because they're not meant to till they're four and a half or eight. I don't care. Like, I really don't. Um, so that the quicker or the more we can embrace the belief that our kids are exactly where they need to be on their journey. And I know it sounds woo woo, but there's so much parenting peace in that. And that does not come from a method or a strategy. Okay. Well, this next bucket is a big one. And 
really, I think what it comes down to is when we hear from moms who want, I'm going to use the word case studies, moms who want examples of how things have gone from other moms in their similar position. And Megan, I don't know if you agree, but I feel like the internet has made this worse and better and more (laughs) because how like 30 years ago, how would a mom have even gone about, maybe she would have found a support group or like a publication. Let's say she's got a new diagnosis for a a child, a a learning difference or um, something that all of a sudden crops up. That's like a little outside of what she expected. She could not have gone to the internet and said, okay, everybody tell me what your experience was with um, applied behavior therapy for, (laughs) you know, this, this childhood issue there, that wasn't a thing. So I, I kind of feel like the internet has exacerbated this in a big way and not altogether good and not altogether bad, just complicated. But this is mom saying, tell me your story, other moms, because I want to know what to expect for mine. Yeah. I mean, when you're giving your example, I'm just thinking about sometimes I will sit back and watch very strong opinions play out on topics I know nothing about. So I can't have an opinion about why this therapy might work for that um, special need or, or that medical issue or whatever it is that you're dealing with. I have no opinion, but sometimes it can turn into really nasty infighting in the groups that should technically or theoretically be supporting each other. And I bet there was less of that then because everybody would have been coming into it Based, like you would have been coming in with the um, the understanding that everyone just wants to do what they can for their kids and that information is limited. And so we're going to help each other get access to information as best we can and be as supportive as we can. But like there wouldn't have been a soapbox or a right. platform for people to um, get so granular yeah. in their opinions. And I think you're right. Like I'm sure because of that, people have been, have learned about new strategies, tactics, um, therapies that are really helpful and maybe avoided some that aren't so helpful and things have been exposed that needed to be exposed. Yeah. But then the other hand is I can only imagine how bewildering it is. Yep. Um, and I mean, it doesn't even have to be something really outside the norm. It's just like, how am I going to get this baby out of my body has become something that there's, it's so loud. The opinions are so loud where, yeah, 30 years ago you had like, two ways and whatever doctors were telling you at the time was probably the way you were going to do it. But, and now it's like, there's like 20,000 ways and here's your downloadable birth plan and all that. So I think information's great. Um, I was a big consumer of it. I have to remind myself sometimes that I was really a pregnancy and birth junkie. I really liked knowing a lot about that. And it would always surprise me when a mom was kind of like, I don't know, like, I guess this is when I have to work. Like, I just found out that I have to worry about this or that thing because yeah. my doctor told me at my last visit. Yeah. And I'm like, you waited for your doctor to tell you that <laughs> uh, dummy. But now I get it. Like, not everybody can be all into the same stuff. Yes. Sometimes you just got to let the experience play out and trust a professional to tell you the next step that you need to know about. And I feel like we're losing that a little bit with the Internet. I agree. And you mentioned the word trust. And when I see these questions, and I'll just give some examples because they're some of them are kind of fluffy. Like we have so many questions about people who are going to Disney and we're actually going to do an upcoming episode about planning a Disney trip. But when I read a question about like, okay, we have four days, 
in Disney World, like everybody helped me decide exactly where to go on each of the days and tell me about the fast pass and the new system for this. And I just think to myself, like, yes, and yes, all of the crowdsourcing is good. And I hope that moms are continuing to develop trust in themselves, that that no matter what happens, you have the tools, you are capable of handling a Disney trip or a birth or a um, transition going back to work or a diagnosis for your child, you are capable of handling that not perfectly, but just imperfectly because you are you and your kid is your kid. Like I do sometimes feel a little sad when it seems like people want case studies or um, examples of, of other people's stories and I just hope that they also know that they their story is happening and they're capable of handling it. Does that was that like too too out there too therapy? Well, no, I think that like um, I where I get uncomfortable is when I see those questions being kind of thrown out into the ether to just anybody who will answer it. Right. I think that is a way to really overwhelm yourself. Um, I do think we've created a pretty safe space for those kinds of questions, and I think. I love that people trust us with those kinds of questions. And I think we're very mindful and careful about the way we answer them. And I would just say, I don't think that's always the case. So I think that it's like protecting yourself by making your circle as tight and as like, if you need to ask those questions, of course, like something like I'm going to Disney World. I mean, that's a pretty low stakes (laughs) thing to ask, like. How's it going to be? Literally, how long am I going to be in line with these kids waiting to get on the Dumbo ride or whatever? I got to know that because it's going to be hot. Like whatever those questions are, you might really just want to know. But the higher the stakes or the higher the emotional fallout from whatever answers you might get um, are likely to be, I think the more tight and really curated you have to keep the list of people that you're going to ask those questions and really if especially if it's something where it's a tender place for you Uh I would say keep it really close to your chest like in fact limit your exposure to voices in that space um maybe find a way for it to filter through to you through a trusted source because it can be it's not just the you've got it in you it's like, yes, every mom has the tools within them to solve these problems. And no matter what, some version, some combination of these unknowns will come up. Like yeah. you can't get around it yeah. as a parent. Every mom has that um, ability to handle those things as they come up. And sometimes just hearing what other people like went through is great. It yeah. just, it's a great thing if we know where to find those stories. Yes. And, and I guess um, consume them in equal measure with our own gut and the the trusted experts that we talked about, as as opposed to giving them added weight. Um, A lot of times we will hear this when it's like a new behavior that's cropped up. I see this a lot in in the Facebook conversation where it's like things were humming along. My kid was sleeping through the night for three years and now all of a sudden they're having night terrors. And and you get a lot of validation. There's There's a lot of good validation that can come from this like is this normal or like my kid hit puberty? Like it, tell me, like, tell me what to expect. And when people can share honestly of like, here's what it looked like for me and here's what surprised me. And, and I do think we try to do episodes about that. That's the whole, like things we shouldn't have freaked out about so much when we reflect back. Um, 
normalizing the normal stages is really important. And I think that is that has been happening since the dawn of time in motherhood circles of like, okay, I've got a biter. And then 10 other people are like, oh, I had a biter. It turned out fine. You're like, okay, so that that there's I like that part of it. Um, I think just everything we we said about um, grain of salt approach to knowing that your story and your kid's story is not going to it's going to be what it's going to be regardless of the number of other case studies you collect yeah. along the way so at a certain point there's probably diminishing returns yeah totally yeah. agree okay well before we wrap up I thought we could spend a little bit of time going even higher we've floated above ourselves and we've looked down but I'm we're going to take us even higher into the sky I wonder if we could talk about what are all these questions really asking like what are what are moms in our community really really asking when they come to us for advice or validation or with worries and I I'm gonna throw out a couple I think people are wanting to know am I alone I think that's one of the big ones is am I the only one in this experience and I think that that's a through line of all the different buckets we just talked about and another big one is will I be okay will I survive this um and then under both of those or above both of those is like, am I enough? Am I loved? Like, that's what yeah. I think all of the questions are really pointing to. I agree. And I think, you know, I could start throwing out more granular questions, but those three really kind of encapsulate every one of the questions that we get and and kind of encapsulate like the entire human experience. Well, that's right? what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah, it gets pretty <laughs> elemental at a certain yeah. point. Do you think of those three, am I alone? Will I be okay? And am I enough? Is there one that's, that's the tenderest spot for you or were, or was for you when you were a, a younger mom? Is there one that dominated or w- was bigger? Well, I, I guess what I would say is if you took, will I be okay and made it, will we be okay? So will the family unit be okay? Probably that one. Yeah. I think that's mine as well. Um, I've never really felt alone and I've always been kind of confident in myself in a way. Like I always, I've always known I've got what it takes to do what needs to be done. That's just a base belief I have. I don't know where it came from. I just have it. I think it's, will the result, like, will it all come out Mm -hmm. in the soup? You know, Um, that I guess is the biggest thing that I have to deal with. I have to deal with being okay with the answer is I don't know. And probably not entirely. Sometimes this batch of soup is going to get be bad. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And then that's the like, and then you're still, you you still have to trust at some point that you'll be okay even when things aren't okay. I think that's the biggest one for me too. Well, right. And like, what does okay even mean? I mean, we could go, we tell people all the time, it's all going to be okay. What does okay mean? Does okay mean everything's going to be great? No, something terrible could happen to you tomorrow or your kids could turn out to be like to hate you <laughs> you know like I don't want to be depressing about it but those are all outcomes that could happen yeah. but there's an okayness yep. um, from like a spiritual level that still underlies all of it and that's what you have to believe I'm um, yeah. just keep coming back to that like it'll be you know uh-huh. it'll be that is a place to wrap up um, and I I have learned so much from doing this podcast that I mean I don't want to listen to 2015 Sarah but if I did I would hear a a different person. And I think you would probably say the same, Megan. And maybe yeah, that sure. in itself is some validation or consolation for 
moms out there that like we grow in spite of ourselves sometimes. Absolutely. Well, we have got a really fun More Than Mom coming up this Sunday. It's going to be about jewelry, which is a topic we have not really gone into a lot of detail about, um, but we have lots to say. So check in with us then. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening to The Mom Hour. Everything we talked about in today's episode is available at themomhour.com. And hey, while you're there, you can find more than 500 podcast episodes, plus articles, playlists, and resources about motherhood and parenting at every stage. And if you like today's episode, we'd love it if you would take a minute to share the show with another mom in your life. You can also find us on Instagram at The Mom Hour, chatting and interacting with listeners between episodes. Thanks for being here, friends. We'll talk to you soon. 